Hello, everyone. Welcome to Investor Hot Seat. My name is Dustin Robinson, and I'm your host. We have a great episode for you today. We've got on one of the most focused and hardworking CEOs that I've met in this industry so far. So very, very excited for this episode. And the reason we created Investor Hot Seat is because I just didn't think some of these other media companies were really asking the questions that investors wanted answered. Really the the hard questions that CEOs really need to be prepared to answer. So that's what we're here to do. We're here to put these CEOs on the hot seat and ask those questions. So since this is about investing, quick disclaimer, uh, this is not a solicitation for investment. You saw on the screen our general terms and conditions that you could find those on our homepage of psychedelicinvest.com. Definitely encourage you to check those terms and conditions out. Uh, the agenda for each of these episodes is going to be, we're going to start with a five-minute presentation uh, from the CEO. Then we're going to follow up with a 30-minute Q&A from yours truly. And then we're going to reserve five to 10 minutes uh, for questions from the audience. So if you have any questions whatsoever, you do not need to wait till the end. Just drop them in the chat box and we'll make sure that we get to them in the end. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Damien Kettlewell, the CEO of Clairvoyant. Damien, I'm going to pass it to you for your presentation, and then we're going to jump into Q&A. So you have five minutes and you are on the clock. Right on. Thank you, Dustin. Thanks for having us. And hello to the uh, Psychedelic Invest Network out there. Uh, my name is Damien Kettlewell and the CEO and co-founder of Clairvoyant. Uh, and uh, here's a little snapshot to, uh, to to consider here as we get going. So Clairvoyant is focused on a unique speed to market strategy to register the first to register psilocybin as a therapeutic product globally. Uh, myself, I'm a plant-based uh, um, plant-based medicine entrepreneur for the last uh, 10 years or so, and built and sold my last company for 40 mil 48 million dollars in 2019. And I have a connection with a personal connection with their health indication. Uh, which is I'll get into later. And um, my co-founder, uh, Tom Price Digby, has been a patent and IP lawyer in the US, Canada, and the EU for over 25 years. And he worked for Novartis for 10 years. And our, co our CFO, uh, Long Trin, is a successful entrepreneur in his own right and uh, has uh, worked internationally and sold his last company for $50 million. So clairvoyant, well, what you're going to learn today is we are the most advanced company in the world. Uh, for in developing psilocybin for the treatment of alcohol use disorder. And we are in a leadership position to be the first company to register psilocybin first in the EU, UK, and Canada. Uh, so we've got our approvals in Canada. Uh, we've got our ethics approvals in Europe. And we are um, working, we'll have our regulatory approvals later this summer in Europe. Uh, and excitingly, our trial that was initiated last week, and we are on target be the first to register psilocybin in 2026 and have revenues of $500 million in 2030. Um, so really with this data inclusivity, we will get uh, 11 to eight years of data inclusivity. So in Europe, it's uh, in the EU, it's called global market authorization, uh, 10, uh, 10 years of uh, data inclusivity that enables premium drug pricing and blocks the generic companies from bringing the product to market. And you're in the UK, UK is called the PLIN, the product license number in Canada, it's the DIN. So um, and then, you know, here we are now, here's some our milestones over the last, uh, over the last year or so and going up for the next couple of years. So 
Uh, in June, we did have our first uh, site initiation visit. We're going to have 15 sites. Uh, we, yeah, we're now to 15 sites in Europe and Canada. And big milestone that we're working towards is getting in the first half of next year is having an interim readout of, um, of our data from our phase two trial uh, and, and interim analysis readout from half of our patients. And with strong efficacy, we believe we can go into a phase three trial next year with supportive regulators, of course. And then, you know, the various different steps moving through to uh, marketing authorization and registration. Here's our trial sites, uh, six in Canada, nine in the EU. Uh, we're 24 weeks, multi-center, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled, phase two trial. Uh, and we're testing, of course, the efficacy, safety, and the tolerability of psilocybin in, uh, in folks with alcohol use disorder. So alcohol use disorder is for folks that are drinking five or more drinks a day. Uh, we are able to take the best practices from a uh, another biotech company, non-psychedelic, that has um, run a phase two and a phase three trial. And we are uh, moving ahead on that front, and we have our own um, proprietary uh, therapist training protocol set up and, and portal set up. We'll be training uh, uh, over uh, about 40 therapists, which the training has already started. So um, yeah, that's that's us. We're really excited. And uh, it's been a big week. Uh, been, uh, last week, uh, getting this uh, site initiation visit, and we're very excited to move ahead. Uh, it's a very different strategy. Uh, and we have been told that from the start. So uh, we're definitely making some really good headway and excited to have strong partners and strong institutional support. So, uh, yeah, that's a little intro about uh, about Clairvoyant. Awesome. Well, I am I'm back on the screen. Awesome. Well, you did it in less than five minutes. Thank you very thank you, Damien. That was a great overview. And in in full disclosure, uh, Eater Eater Investments, my fund is an investor in Clairvoyant, and I do have a board seat. So I've gotten to know. Damien, very, very well. But I will tell you that will not stop me from asking those tough questions. We are on investor hot seat. So I'm going to start off with a, with a softball. Um, one of the questions I always like to ask is, is I'd like to understand the why of the founders. Um, so Damien, why don't you give us a little bit of background on how you got involved in the psychedelic industry and what led you to launching Clairvoyant? For sure. Um, Listen, I have a passion for working with plant-based medicines and working with substances that have stigma associated with them and working within government regulations or now in the, through the clinical trial model to bring these plant-based medicines to market. Um, and so uh, I'm um, really passionate about working in this field and I really believe it's part of my purpose uh, in life uh, and hopefully basically inspire my own family, my own kids to, to do some uh, exciting things with their lives. I do uh, enjoy working in these evolving spaces, and um, you know, psilocybin is something that uh, I think has that has traditionally had that stigma, even though it's been around for thousands of years, been used for thousands of years. Um, but we're based in Vancouver, a Vancouver-based biotech company, and um, definitely in the West Coast, there is a, a culture of, of folks who do uh, use psilocybin, not recommending you do psilocybin using the uh, the gray market. But um, I do believe, in, and uh, I believe it's very powerful when done right. And of course, we're running a phase two clinical trial with Health Canada approvals, and we've got our initial approvals in the EU. So it's all through this the lens of uh, regulatory models of clinical trials. So, but I do believe, and and, and there's a, obviously a number of um, there's a fair amount of published data on psilocybin as well. And so having that having that published data as a baseline and building upon that and uh, and and executing on our unique strategy is uh, is what kind of drives me forward. Um, and so um, really when it comes down to, um, and, and as well, like we are basically focused on, a speed to market as mentioned, and 
And so we, we were looking at different indications going back about a year and a half, two years ago, different indications in psilocybin that would get us to speed to market. There's obviously quite advanced work in the mental health field and TRD studies, and MDD studies. And uh, we determined uh, based on our research that uh, alcohol use disorder and substance use disorders were the uh, simplest and the uh, trials to run from, uh, from a registration point of view. Um, and so, uh, as this audience likely knows, this, this, uh, this, this molecule, psilocybin, was synthesized in the, in the 60s, uh, in the 50s and the 60s, and so it's a known chemical entity, and so we are of the belief that in the class of psychedelics, these you know, patents are, are not going to stand up in the jurisdictions that we're operating in. Um, and so, but after, you know, after, in regards to why, Dustin, you know, I come from a, uh, a family of four generations of uh, liquor entrepreneurs, and so when we determined that alcohol use disorder based on some existing uh, academic study done in 2015 showed a 40 to 60 percent drop in the number of heavy drinking days uh, with two doses of psilocybin uh, combined with psychotherapy. And then we looked at the primary endpoint, we looked at the things we could do for any, in regards to exclusion criteria so certain, um, you know, certain patients wouldn't be at risk and we, we could minimize our chance of serious adverse events. Um, it really, we, we chose this indication uh, about, about, uh, about your year, about five quarters ago now, and we've been fully focused on it from that point of view. And so for me, I did spend about nine years in, uh, as an operating partner in a family business in the hospitality, uh, liquor hospitality and liquor retail. We sold all the hospitality businesses some time ago, but I was able to see in my, in my chapter in that the, the struggles that some, you know, approximately 15% of of people who drink, which is about 80% of, of adults drink in our target jurisdictions of Europe, the EU, UK, and Canada, I was able to see people that were struggling and who's going to retirement and they would have shortened lifespan and, and lifespan and, and health considerations. And so, you know, these folks have been putting food on our table for a couple of generations. And so there is uh, a, a, there is a lack of an effective treatment model for alcohol use disorder. There's, you know, alcohol Alcoholics Anonymous, which, you know, it doesn't, you know, it works for some, Kind of faith-based, but it doesn't really work for all, and it's le definitely less than 25% efficacy. And then there's, you know, there's naltrexone and a camprosate, but uh, that just has less than 25% efficacy as well. So, the and in really in discussions with emergency room doctors, and they're like, it is so frustrating when people come in and they're hurt, and fallen because they've had too much to drink, broken the leg, they've cracked open their face, and there's nothing that I can do. Uh, give, I can nothing I can prescribe to them, and so. Really, the fact that uh, that we're operating in this alcohol use disorder uh, health indication provides me that much more purpose um, to to execute on, the, on this model. And so, that's um, that's a sort of story as to you know why why we're doing it and um, why alcohol use disorder and you know the personal motivation uh, on, on top of that. It's nice to be able to to give back and, and um, part of uh, part of my legacy professionally moving forward. Absolutely. And so let's let's dive into to, to really the speed to market strategy. You mentioned in your presentation some of the, the data exclusivity periods in these different jurisdictions. I'm sure a lot of our viewers really aren't that familiar with this particular strategy. Could so could you you give a little bit more detail, dive a little deeper in what does this data exclusivity really provide to Clairvoyant? If you guys are successful in getting the first drug identification number for psilocybin for uh, AUD in these jurisdictions, what does that do for clairvoyant? Yeah, so so what it does, Dustin, great question, is that it um, 
really the first company to run, you know, we uh, we were able to you know, reference the existing uh, safety data and have a strong relationship with a drug supplier as a startup to go into a phase two trial, which is uh, unusual in the biotech world. Um, and so what it means once we run our phase two trial, we get our interim analysis the first half of next year, we meet with the regulators, we move into our phase three trial the second half of next year. And then we, you know, we take about a year and a half, two years to do our phase two trial and a couple hundred patients and, uh, and more sites than we have now. Is it the first company uh, to, to register uh, and in our target jurisdictions, um, there's data showing you can register with one phase three trial, uh, like in the US, you do require two phase three trials. So um, the first company uh, had, is the sole holder of data exclusivity, uh, which, you know, we, uh, which enables us to keep generic drug companies out. Of course, when the generic drug companies come in, then the prices will, will drop considerably. We have to invest tens of millions of dollars into this process to get registered. Uh, and with that process, uh, and with this, once we make it through, which we believe we will, um, that, uh, that we'll have, we'll, we'll get you know, the DIN in Canada, we'll get the PLIN uh, called the product license number in the UK, and we'll get global market authorization, which is what EMA or the European regulatory body calls it. And so that is going to enable us to uh, have premium drug pricing um, and will enable us to uh, sort of keep, uh, keep keep generic drug companies out. And what's interesting in Europe is if you do a second indication, we've done some initial work in tobacco use disorder, have stalled on that for now or put it on hold while we focus on alcohol use disorder. But with a second indication, you can get an extra year, so 11 years of data inclusivity. So I imagine some of you viewers might have heard of a company called GW, GW Pharmaceuticals, which was purchased by Jazz. Uh, so GW Pharmaceuticals in 2019, they were the first company to register CBD or cannabidiol. Um, as a ther therapeutic product for Dravet syndrome, which is a, a seizures in kids, um, and so it's uh, you know it was a big big move. And, and a CBD was synthesized in 1965 in Israel by Dr. Raphael Meshulam. And so what's happened with uh, they got registered in 2000 and um, 2018, and then in Europe in 2019. And now what they're doing is they're running trials, a uh, number of few trials in multiple sclerosis, MS, and uh, they're going to you know. One of the reasons they want to do that is to get the next year of data inclusivity. So, you know, we're going to be following a similar path um, in regards in regards to that. So, um, yeah, it's a very you know even you know we're we're big supporters of maps and big fans of them. And uh, you know, in the U.S., we're not in the U.S. because we believe it will go generic faster, uh, and because the data inclusivity period is five years plus up to two years if you plan things out right. Um, but we do believe that generic drug companies will. Uh, come in faster in the U.S. in the psilocybin industry, uh, and based on you know, realities of the American pharmaceutical market. So um, yeah, that's 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 where it's at. And, and uh, you know, Maps is, is has been you know, MDMA. What was it synthesized in the in the 30s, I believe? And so you know, that's that's going to go generic pretty fast. And uh, to Maps is going to have a good have a good ride, um, and it'll go generic. Um, we'll see if another company comes in and does a phase three trial. To, to move things along faster. Um, but um, yeah, the first company that gets that, that registration is key. And, and even if you're not first, there is value to your to your data, your efficacy data. Um, and so that's why we're focused on you know, really executing on this, on this phase two trial. And, and you keep mentioning MAPS. I assume the reason you're mentioning MAPS is because they have a similar strategy with respect to MDMA, correct? They, they do. They have a similar strategy. Yeah. They don't, they don't so have so MAPS, 
Right. So MAPS, rather than patenting MDMA, they decided, you know, there's nothing novel about MDMA. It was developed decades ago. Um, so they took a, a data exclusivity approach with respect to MDMA. Um, and you guys are kind of taking this data exclusivity approach with psilocybin. So we've seen we've seen a lot of companies in the psilocybin space. You know, there, there's certainly no shortage of companies looking to develop drugs around psilocybin. What is it about your strategy? It's, it, I know it's all built around speed to market. What is it that you're doing that gives you the confidence that you guys are able to kind of get out ahead and be the first to market in these three jurisdictions? Yeah, sure. So it really comes down to uh, sort of about five key points as to, you know, how we're going to do this, how we're going to move fast. Number one, the health indication that we've chosen um, is, 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 is paramount. Um, you know, trying to reduce the amount of serious adverse events. Definitely very um, honored to be in the same industry of people working in the, in the mental health crisis and dealing with those PTSD, TRD, MDD, all very, um, very much in need. Um, but really when it was, as mentioned, with alcohol use disorder and substance abuse disorder as well, if you can get the patients uh, enrolled and, uh, and showing up for all the different treatment sessions, you're going to be able to move fast. And so, and, and really it comes down to the primary endpoint. So the primary endpoint of our trial is the reduction in the number of heavy drinking days over a eight-week treatment period, two doses of synthetic psilocybin. And so it's very measurable, very quantifiable, uh, and there's not going to be a lot of gray area where it's going to be people are tracking their, their day, days of heavy drinking on their phone, uh, and we have an excellent CRO. Uh, and uh, it's you know it's very quantifiable, and we can exclude those folks who uh, might have some adverse events. And so, so that's into in regards to why the indication is going to make a difference. Uh, there's also existing um, data uh, on alcohol use disorder showing that there was a reduction of 40 to 60 percent in the number of heavy drinking days. There was a study done in 2015. There's a study that's been completed um, and recently in psilocybin therapy and alcohol use disorder by the same researcher, and that data. Uh, should be coming out soon. Um, and then, you know, another big um, competitive advantage we have is we have a great relationship with our CRO, who we did interview seven CROs and through an RFP process, and we chose the one that had the most experience running phase two and phase three alcohol use disorder trials. And so it's been, we've been working together for about five quarters now, and they have, um, you know, I definitely as per one of our values of integrity, we don't speak negatively of our competitors. We wish our competitors the best, but I do hear in my travels, you know, being on 16 flights and six uh, trips in the last 10 weeks. And, you know, fortunately, some folks do have troubles with their CRO and delays. And so we're, we're excited to be moving ahead on, on that front. And our CRO has extensive experience in networks in alcohol use disorder. Um, and as well in the European markets that we've chosen, so we're about indication, we're about existing published data, we're about a, a really strong relationship with our CRO, and access to patients, which is often uh, a big roadblock in clinical trials. And so the markets that we've chosen, there are 600 pre-screened alcohol use disorder patients and that uh, were excluded from a prior study uh, by a non-psychedelic company. And therefore, we can uh, we can recruit directly into those uh, into those 600 patients. And so we're anticipating a large percentage of our, our patients will come from our European uh, partner sites. So that um, that's really important. And really, the last uh, key thing is a relationship with our drug supplier. We are under confidentiality with our drug supplier, but we have, we've been working together for well over 
for some time now, uh, and they have been around for some time, and uh, that relationship has enabled us to, to move fast and a commitment to, uh, to open science with this drug and with this product at this time um, is, is uh, what's really important to us. And so really combination of those little factors has enabled us to, to move fast and, you know, with a team, you know, we're, uh, we're focused on integrity, uh, health and innovation. And uh, we live those values uh, working with each other and in team building events. And it's showed in the way that we've been able to execute uh, in a relatively short period of time. So we're, uh, we're excited to, uh, to move ahead. So I hope that gives you the, uh, the juice you're looking for. Absolutely. And so you mentioned that you're, you're not focused on U.S. You guys want to focus on the U.K., EU and Canada. Um, we see a lot of companies going after the U.S. mainly because it is the largest market, right? Lot, huge population. Unfortunately, a lot of people suffering from various indications, including AUD, alcohol use disorder. Um, I'd like for you to uh, explain a little bit about the market size in these three jurisdictions and why you believe that these markets have sufficient size to generate the revenues necessary over this short time period that you have with data exclusivity. For sure. Um, I do want to say, though, that you know we are open to U.S. opportunities. And just as we get the story out there, we're a private company. We are kind of modest in, in what we do. We don't issue a lot of press releases. What we do, it's material, and so. But there's been a few um, uh, industry partners that have kind of talked to us about our safety, our more our, our clinical data and access to to that. And so we'll we'll see how those discussions proceed to, to support their own trials. So there will be uh, a U.S. component to our play to our strategy at one point, but now we're just about executing on our on our on our on our three jurisdiction strategy. Um, and uh, so really the size of the market, uh, in, uh, Dustin, you're asking in Europe, the UK and Canada, you know, 80% of, of, uh, of adults uh, drink uh, and that's so 339 people in, uh, in our three target jurisdictions and 15% of those drinkers are, uh, are at risk for alcohol use disorder from drinking five or more drinks a day and uh, about 1% of those, uh, the total amount of drinkers, so 3.4 million drinkers are seeking uh, treatment for alcohol use disorder now through Alcoholics Anonymous or through naltraxone or Campersate, which is the most primary, uh, the most popular drugs that are prescribed, even though they don't work, unfortunately, very, very well. Um, and so we, um, you know, we we see it, so that's a you know large market size, 3.4 million patients uh, that we believe we can, uh, and so our, our, we have our models built out where we will have $500 million in sales in 2030. And the metrics that we look at to, to determine and uh, provide rationale for where these, uh, where this $500 million in revenue number comes from is uh, the number of therapists we have to train. So we're currently training about 40 therapists, um, and, which is a fair number of therapists through, uh, through our training uh, portal and um, you know, over, over 30 hours of training in motivational enhancement therapy and psychedelic specific therapy. And so to hit our, our revenue targets, we're gonna have to have over 3,000 patient uh, therapists trained in 2030 and be in over 200 treatment centers and be in those treatment centers at multiple rooms and be treated in over 800 treatment rooms. So it's a significant scale up uh, and likely we'll be uh, you know, partnering with the appropriate folks to be able to commercialize that effectively. Uh, we are a, a drug development team, um, but we do have a number of folks with extensive experience in commercialization. We have spoken to five insurance health, um, life health insurance companies and they are certainly open to uh, and quite keen on alternative models 
uh, for uh, for patients with alcohol use disorder. So, um, yeah, that's how that, that's where we that's where our projections are, and um, you know, it's really a matter of uh, is working with existing addiction centers, is working with the new um, these new clinics, psychedelic medicine clinics that are um, that are uh, ketamine clinics that, that want to add psilocybin uh, as a therapeutic product. And so uh, we are friendly with uh, with all of them, and we're continuing to outreach to more of them to uh, to build out our, our commercialization strategy. Yeah. So just to dig in a little bit deeper on those revenue numbers, you you mentioned five hundred million in twenty thirty. Um, obviously, this data exclusivity period is you know relatively short period of time, but it is enough time to make quite a bit of revenue during that time period. So beyond just that five hundred million, could you kind of walk me through? Um, how much revenue you'll think you'll be generating during this data exclusivity period, and then also discuss a little bit about what what, what you expect to happen as far as a fall off in revenue um, after that data exclusivity period. Sure, sure. Yeah, we we see somewhere between two to four billion dollars in revenue over the, the over the the length of the data exclusivity period. So, um, and it really uh, it comes down to you know our ability to you know to distribution and to be able to get the therapist trained uh, and you know likely focus on uh, working with partner companies to be able to do that uh, so that's that's you know how we're going to do it you know we hear a lot um, of Rick and maps talking about you know their commercialization strategy and working with the Boston consulting group and so you know we'll be able to stand on the shoulders of, of giants in the industry that have been at this for a long time you know ketamine is is prescribed now and it's there's a you know Hundreds of clinics across North America. Uh, hopefully next year uh, we'll see MDMA uh, have their first commercial patient, uh, and uh, these these clinics are very keen, as you know, Dustin, to take on additional psychedelic medicines. So it's going to be these classic psychedelics, you know, that uh, that, that that are the first to market, and then there's going to be this next phase of psychedelics that are approved in the late 2020s, early 2030s. Um, you know, it took GW Pharmaceuticals about 18 years to get their uh, product to market. And, you know, it's going to take us uh, we'll five and a half years to get ours to market. So uh, based on referencing existing data. So, but that said, uh, we are not a one trick pony. Uh, we are focused on executing on this uh, alcohol use disorder trial. And so what we are uh, starting to mean companies have reached out to us and they've said, listen, you guys have got your trials approved, your trial approved. Why don't you help us commercialize our, our new chemical entity, our novel entity? And at this point, um, you know, we have had some friendly discussions uh, and haven't uh, haven't uh, are not not searching for partners at this point. But once we get our trial fully launched, you know, we are. There's a couple of ways we can go. We can either work with the company that's in phase one or phase two and license or acquire um, their data, whether it be psychedelic medicine or non-psychedelic medicine. For us, um, our area of focus is substance abuse disorders, and we have, of course, now an increasing amount of networks, uh, KOLs uh, in this in the space, keeping the leaders, academic leaders, uh, to support our strategy. And so we see uh, the fact that we either uh, license or purchase uh, another psychedelic or non-psychedelic drug that is helping people with substance abuse disorders, uh, and then uh, and commercializing that as we're doing with uh, the psilocybin now. Alternatively, we could go, uh, you know, for a lower cost, uh, like on, off at a lower cost, and you know, uh, license or purchase um, a chemical entity that is, you know, pre pre preclinical work that's working in in rats or animals, uh, and start that route. But that route is, is a long path, and so you know, we have the team to do that. We have the experience to do that. Uh, we believe we can raise the money when appropriately, 
when, when appropriate. Uh, and so it's a matter of, you know, saying what we're doing, what we say we're going to do, which we have done for the most part, uh, but doing that for uh, another few quarters and then uh, and then get this phase three trial launched, which is going to be uh, obviously uh, quite significant, much you know, larger and meeting with regulators to see our, uh, what, what primary endpoint what primary endpoint that they want uh, just engaging uh, more so with our you know, three three levels of, uh, of regulators getting uh, phase three launched and then um, and then as the window as we get closer to inclusivity we'll be very much active and have the funds allocated to pursue alternative uh, drugs to um, to support uh, the company as we move as our vehicles have been moved uh, to, to an end period Great. Well, you know, it's it's great. We've spent a lot of time on like the speed to market strategy. But of course, in order for this to be successful, we need to show efficacy in these compounds. And you've referenced a couple of times this 2015 study. So I think it would be helpful if you could just kind of outline what gives you the confidence um, that psilocybin for AUD will be efficacious. Um, and if maybe you could outline some of the results that we saw in that 2015 study, and how does that compare to some of the current treatments that are currently out there for alcohol use disorder? Yeah, no, absolutely. So the 2015 study was done at the University of New Mexico by uh, Dr. Bogenschutz, and it was a it wasn't a giant study, but it was a large, well-designed study that had uh, an intake period um, with motivational enhancement therapy. It had an eight-week treatment period with two doses of uh, synthetic psilocybin, and they demonstrated a uh, 46% drop, 40 to 60% drop in the number of heavy drinking days um, uh, through the 24-week treatment period. So that is is quite significant and very much in line to be uh, approved by a regulator with those sort of like safety numbers and those sort of efficacy numbers, efficacy numbers primarily. Uh, you know, as we know, uh, psilocybin is, is not addictive uh, and uh, has no uh, known records of serious adverse events in, in the general populace uh, for those who don't have uh, certain mental health conditions. So it's a safe product uh, when taken by the right person. Uh, and uh, you know, the study in 2015 demonstrated that it works. And so, you know, you know, we get this question once in a while. Uh, you know, how, what's the mechanism of action? How does this actually work? How does it work in the brain? What's actually happening? And and, and the truth is. That Science isn't confirmed on that to date. Even with like you know, antidepressants and SSRIs, the mechanism action is not. They think they know what it is, but it hasn't been completely uh, proven yet. But it seems like uh, with uh, there has been some uh, some rat studies done um, in Germany late last year, a published study that showed that it was tied to the mglu two receptor, and it showed that uh, mglu two receptors were uh, were had changed in, in mice when they had, were taking when they took psilocybin, and then they. Uh, and then their their intoxication levels went down, and they stopped desiring um, alcohol. And so it, it might be something to do with the mglu two receptor. Um, and so we'll see how academic studies um, proceed on that front. It was interesting. We were in a lab at Stanford a few weeks ago, and uh, they were looking. We were looking at this this MRI for brain for brains from uh, for mice, and uh, kind of like looking at you know uh, hearing about how, of course, we know that the brain. On the human brain on psilocybin, and you know, it's like, there's considerably there's like 50 percent plus, uh, up to 8 percent more neuroactivity in the brain when on psilocybin. The same, and the same amount of neuroactivity is present um, in, in mice when they're on psilocybin. And so, this German study has, uh, has you know, put a classic flag in regards to possibly linking it to the mglu 2 receptor, uh, and um, you know, that's that's how. Uh, and so, you know, we, 
we're really keen to see this, this data from uh, it's coming out uh, from another study uh, to this front, and we think it's going to be quite positive. And so, um, yeah, and I, and I think when you look at um, other studies out there and published data, you know, from John Hopkins on tobacco use disorder, uh, and from uh, Yale University and of course Imperial College, uh, when a trial is designed properly uh, with the right exclusion criteria and um, it has the right primary input, then you know, it's shown to be you know, many uh, psilocybin trials have had very strong efficacy. Strong so we are, we're quite uh, cautiously confident, and we're quite confident that, that the results were positive. And we think that, uh, you know, there's, there's you know, three of the main risks in clinical trials are, you know, efficacy, safety, and then financing. And so we think that our strategy would reduce, um, reduced uh, definitely, definitely on the safety side, and the way that our trial is designed, and considering the historical data on psilocybin, on the efficacy side, we believe it's uh, it's a lot less risk than other uh, new chemical entities out there that are you know, novel. Uh, and then on the financing side, we're we're taking care of that and we're uh, very confident that we'll be able to fund our trials um, with um, the progress we're making. And so you mentioned that the clinical trial design is is very very important for the the success of this clinical trial, and we we know that psilocybin nothing much proprietary about the compound itself, but it's being used in conjunction with psychedelic assisted therapy. So to the extent you could share with us kind of a little bit of information on on what how you guys developed your protocols, what those protocols might look like um, and, and a little bit of information on your clinical trial design as well. I recognize that this is somewhat proprietary, but to whatever you're, you're uh, comfortable with sharing, you know, love to learn more about, you know, how you develop those protocols and what your clinical trial design looks like. Yeah, no, for sure. It is, it is, uh, thank you, Dustin. It is our, uh, our secret sauce. Um, and so, but like anything in business, it's, and five, ten percent ideas and 89 percent execution. So, but that said, um, we have a really experienced team uh, on the drug development side with over average of 20 years of drug development experience uh, that are uh, coveted uh, team members. Um, and so, our trial design, we 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 did reference you know the existing published data. Uh, we have an extensive therapy manual. We're working with fluids training, which is. Uh, we've shared that thus far, and Influence has been great to work with. Uh, and um, we're training our therapists. And uh, what's really important is, is you know, we're a placebo-controlled trial. And as, as you know, Dustin, one of the big, you know, challenges in the industry, uh, some say, are is the placebo and how to maintain the blind. And so we spent countless, countless hours um, discussing that as a team uh, on, the, on the clinical side and, and working through that. And um, yeah, and, and sometimes you get pushback from uh, from your, your KOLs, but we are not an academic study. We're a company, a team that exists to get this to market and be a commercial company. So we have, we uh, definitely respect, we're very grateful for the contributions for uh, principal investigators and our KOLs, uh, but sometimes we agree to disagree on things. We are gonna publish our trial results, um, but we have designed it to be uh, to be accepted by the regulators. That's that's the primary focus for us. And so. We're very grateful for all the academic work that is done in the past, going Imperial and, and John Hopkins and Yale and such. And we realized that we wouldn't be here now if it wasn't for them. But that said, we have a different mandate, and that is a mandate to to help patients uh, 
and, and help doctors so they have less trauma for not being able to help their patients instead of sending them out the door knowing that you're going to see your alcohol restored patient in a few months that has fallen and split their head open again because they drank you know 12 drinks and uh, for whatever reason and uh, we want to you know they, we want to help doctors we want to help patients and we help patients to help doctors so in regards to our protocol and, uh, and our clinical trial design i think i've kind of shared enough uh you know if that's if that's okay there's uh and um you know we're we're uh yeah we're excited to move ahead absolutely and so you know it's hard to talk about psilocybin without mentioning compass pathway um they're they've obviously been in the news quite a bit um and in particular regarding uh some of their patents around uh psilocybin and recently there was actually some news that um the fto's uh challenges to those patents were actually denied which which is good for for compass although i think they they did interpret those patents pretty narrowly um so just a, a general question on whether or not you think the compass patents provide any sort of threat to clairvoyant clair, uh, commercializing their psilocybin drug yeah, we're happy to see the great work that the, the Compass is doing in uh, treatment-resistant depression and grateful for all that have been around for some time. And um, really like the personal story there, and it's a very important health indication. Um, and, you know, you'll notice, though, that you know, we're not in the U.S. for our own strategic reasons in regards to you know, patents as well in the space. So, so but the, the simple answer is no. We, they cannot stop us from commercializing this product. Um, yeah. You're, you're trained as a lawyer. Our co-founder is a lawyer. He's been in business for 25 years. So we're, we're cheering for them. We cheer for all of our competitors. We're friendly with them. You know, we're friendly with many folks in the industry. And um, we're, we, we know there's an that medical need for this situation. And uh, we hope that they, uh, they get it to market. Great. And um, so I want to talk about some of the, the areas that are, are tough to talk about. And your whole strategy is based off this, this speed to market and getting that first drug identification number. Um, we wanted to just discuss what happens in the event that you do not get that first drug identification number. What is your contingency plan if you guys are not first to market with respect to psilocybin for AUD? Yeah, so definitely it's it's been something that's been on our strategy table uh, from the start. And um, we think we're gonna be first. Uh, if we're not first, what's gonna happen? So we there's a few um, there's some kind of there's a, there's a there's a ton of value in what we're doing. American I've mentioned that some um, some companies focused in the U.S. market have already kind of indicated an interest in some of our clinical data that they could use to commercialize their own drugs in the U.S. We'll see where that goes. But really, uh, if we are second in the EU, EU, UK, and Canada, um, number one, the most important thing. Oh no, yeah, number one. It's having a second health indication. So you can see now, you know, with GW Pharma, they're trying, they're doing, they're, they're approved, of course, for Dravet syndrome, and now they're running trials in multiple sclerosis to try and get a second health indication. So the clinical data that we produce from our phase two trial is going to be very valuable for, um, for to, to partner with whoever we want to partner with. And so that is that is one thing they're going to be able that can be utilized for additional, um, for additional additional data inclusivity, which uh, can equate to with you know a few health indications, you know we're talking about you know billion dollars in revenue a year in sales. And, you know, uh, last time I looked, uh, the uh, cannabidiol 
Epidiolex for GW, GW Pharma had you know over two hundred twenty million dollars of sales in quarter. Uh, two hundred twenty million dollars of sales a quarter. So there's there's significant um, there's significant value in having a second in, in, uh, having a second health indication to get that eleventh year of data exclusivity and block generic drug companies from coming in. So that's um, you know there's really uh, that's that is uh, that's that's a value there. And as well, what we're doing as well is if for some reason we were second to market, we can always uh, we can always have you know other you can always have another indication that we bring to market. And then I mentioned that we um, once we get this you know phase two trial going and uh, we have some progress and we move through to get our to get our uh, our, uh, our interim analysis, we can be looking at uh, other um, or proprietary models and licensing those in or purchasing those. Uh, and so we will be doing that. And um, we are we're uh, we're we definitely you know we've got time just to, for this to roll out. We're, we we believe that we will be applying to register this product in the second half of 2025. And as mentioned, there's one phase three trial that we can get this registered in. So we need to run our phase two trial. And you know we don't put it in our in our media releases, but it, it, it is the equivalent of a, phase, of a phase two B trial because the dosage amount is confirmed, uh, and so we can use this uh, this data to to expedite the launch of a phase three trial. And so that's really going to be you know how well that we execute and our CRO and, and executes and working with our drug supplier. So those are the and then of course the financing to, to finance the, the phase three trial. So we believe that those are mountains to climb, but I enjoy climbing mountains um, in business and personally, and um, we, uh, we believe we can get there. Great. Um, and so, you know, obviously these clinical trials, we, we, you've referenced a few times that they're, they're, they are capital intensive. Um, so how much capital has Clairvoyant, you know, been able to, to raise so far and what are kind of the key milestones you guys have been able to achieve with that capital? Yeah, so we've raised uh, over uh, 2.7 million, um, and that has enabled us to uh, to initiate our trial, uh, and we're um, working on that now, on uh, and have made some good progress on that front, is raising what's required to get the, the job done. Uh, so, I want to be mindful of any sort of securities law. We love being a private company and not having to share too much, not having to share our balance sheet with the market and our all of our clinical progress, um, but you know we're really grateful for our uh, support from. Uh, we have four institutional investors. Uh, one of them actually sent out a release today, uh, mentioning that they were um, a part of the Clairvoyant team, and um, you know over seventy percent of our investor dollars has come from institutional investors. And so there's buy-in from from the industry and from the sector, and we're a lean team that is moving fast and utilizing all the existing uh, experience from our that our team has. And so it's it's quite. Uh, yeah, we're, we're having a lot of fun, we're working hard, and we're staying focused on uh, the same thing that we were focused on a year and a half ago when we, when, uh, when we first met us. And, and how much capital will you guys need in order to finish up these clinical trials, in order to, to get that first drug identification number? How much capital do you expect you guys will need to go forward and raise? Yeah, somewhere between 35 and $45 million total to, to, get, to get it done. And so... Uh, the whole appointment phase two to phase three. So that's that's where I think we're at on that front. Absolutely. And so last question. And so if anyone has any questions, feel free to drop them in the comments. Um, I just got a couple more left. So um, if you could just give some background. I know you, you mentioned some of your team members. If you could just talk a little bit about your team members and why you think they're the, the right team to execute on this plan. 
for sure. Um, well, we've got a great director, Dustin, so we're <laughs> grateful for that. Uh, all of your networking experience. Uh, and then our our, um, our other director, uh, outside of myself, is, uh, is Greg Engels. And Greg, uh, 20 years in biotech, uh, founded companies, uh, brand companies. Uh, then he uh, had a medical cannabis uh, chapter, cannabis chapter, uh, running Tilray, running Organogram. And Greg was a, um, he didn't know it, but he was a bit of a mentor of mine. Uh, I didn't know him when I was in my medical cannabis chapter. But I always liked the way that he operated and uh, the way that he executed and managed cash properly, effectively. Uh, and so Greg has a ton of experience, uh, raised over a billion dollars for companies he's been involved in. So he's uh, and he's quite involved. He's very actually quite involved in the company. Really grateful for all of his all of his um, incredible contributions. Uh, and so uh, on top of that, our co-founder Tom, of course, he has um, Tom and I have been friends since 2004 since a community initiative and uh, have stayed uh, same friends through that and we're excited to be working together now. And uh, you know, when you've got a, um, when you've got a, uh, a partner, a co-founding partner that has you know, worked in the bars for 10 years, understands the inner workings of large global pharma companies, what it takes to get deals done. And many of the people that he's worked with are a number of the people that he's worked with are in the psychedelic sector now with some of our friendly competitors and so um it's great to have that that insight from tom uh, on the ip pad and the data facility side um and then uh and then our cfo long is a fantastic gentleman you know, we've been friends for about six years and long worked for some of the biggest um, uh, mining companies in the world gold mining in various jurisdictions in asia and in central america and has then he had found his own company uh, in medical cannabis as well and long and i were confidants through that phase as uh, that chapter. Uh, and uh, he had a very good exit for $50 million a few years ago. And so Long and I worked uh, together very closely and uh, strong, strong team, uh, travel a lot. And um, it's really making a difference. Um, and then on the clinical, we have an amazing clinical trial manager who happy to say she is on vacation this week. So that she has really deserved it. Uh, really, uh, really, she's just amazing to work at work with and has over 20 years of clinical trial experience in phase two and phase three trials. Um, and so that just, that Lynn is, is, uh, is, being, uh, is being excellent. And we, uh, we, you know, as a, we do some fun, unique team, team things together as well. And Lynn, Lynn is a big part of that. And then we move on to our chief medical officer, Dr. Mark Tyndall, who was one of Canada's leading public health officials um, and very much respected and, and uh, known in, uh, in the medical circle and um, quite active in our, on the safety side for our protocol design. Uh, and so Mark is, um, he's, he's, he's been an excellent person, team member. Uh, and then we have clinical and regular, regulatory ops lead, Pat Tam. Uh, Pat is um, really a, uh, he's a real, um, he's a leading mind in, you know, in, in the, in, in biotech, as far as the ability to be able to run trials. Actually, actually just, uh, we just got some questions back today, which is good from our European regulator spoke to about uh, about 45 minutes ago and um, yeah so uh, we're, we're, we're on it and Pat is uh, all that experience you know it's you can have a bunch of letters behind your name that's fantastic it's more education the better uh, but it's that ability to be successful and use that successful experience and, and use that academic experience to be able to execute commercially and then Pat definitely um, is uh, and, and he has the best probably the best laugh on the team too which is always nice because things do get nice uh, in startups and drug development sometimes and then we have uh, you know some amazing um, team members that are focused on CMC contract leads, science lead, 
uh, and then advisors on the commercialization side. So that is uh, really quite important as well. Uh, and then Ali as well, very much on corporate development. Ali has uh, been in biotech for a long time and uh, he provides some excellent guidance uh, and a background in, in finance as well. So we've been, we, we, we have an outside of Lynn joining in the last, um, last while. You know, we've been a core team now for about a year and a half, and Tom and I have been at it for about two years. So, yeah, so the team is it's quite exciting to, and, and, and the team, they're excited. They're like, wow, we have, we worked on lots of projects. We never worked on a project that's gone right to phase two. We've never worked on a project where commercialization timeline is so short uh, compared to other projects. And so it's, um, yeah, there's a really good, really good culture. We spend a lot of time in our culture. We sent out a happiness survey to our team last week. We were a pending B corporation, and so, the results came back and they're still coming in actually but uh yeah so we're we're excited to be we put a lot of time into our our, uh, our b corp certification process and we submitted our application a few months ago and it's nine to twelve months to hear back sort of thing but that that has really actually it's, it's provided some really good shareholder return in the corporate governance uh, for a private uh, company and 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 the team as well the team is quite uh intrigued by this this uh, novel way to run a business of course we're a for-profit business but we have a social purpose as well uh, and so that that, that team culture uh, is, is making a big difference well i'll tell you i'm not happy that i did not get the happy survey i guess as a director you uh you don't send out the happy survey but i will say it's been an absolute pleasure working with your team and the the focus on you know this speed to market has just been incredible everyone on the team seems to really buy into the vision and you've done a great job really rallying a, an incredible team and, and really getting everyone very focused on the mission. So kudos to that. So before we we jump into the questions, Damien, I want to, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or get information on your company, um, website, email information, any any contact information or anything you're willing to give out uh, if people want to learn more. Yeah, um, it's Damien at uh, clairvoyantrx.com. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, happy to, uh, to contact me there. Um, and uh, through our website, we have a contact us. Uh, please reach out through our website. We are getting um, getting a good amount of folks that, that want to get involved. And uh, uh, and so, yeah, we're, we're always happy to uh, to engage and look for, for opportunities. So we're not hiring right now. I just wanted to say that. Uh, we have the team we need to get our interim analysis. Uh, and um, yeah, and we'll be, uh, we'll be, uh, yeah, we will be, we'll, we will grow um, when we, uh, as we get close to getting our interim analysis and we start planning out for our phase three and working with our vendor partners to prepare for phase three. So it's, uh, yeah, things are, yeah, please, please reach out. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, our great um, Psychedelic Invest team behind the scenes was just showing the website at the bottom of the screen. So if you guys ever want to go back, there it is again. They're, they're, they're very good. They're able to get, get everything up quickly. So if anyone wants more information, you go to the website. So we'll jump into some of the questions. And I see some of the questions we've answered, so I'll skip over the ones that I believe we've answered. But we'll start with 420RX. Her question is, are you aiming for insurance coverage do the pharmaceutical markets you're targeting suffer from tier formulary restrictions that would directly affect distribution scale? The answer is yes. Um, that is our, our primary focus is on having patients who have insurance plans that will cover their cost of the treatment. And so um, we've spoken to some of the biggest uh, health insurance companies um, with our commercial, through our commercialization 
uh, team member, Brett Corte, and uh, the response has been very positive. Uh, and we know that um, that there's interest, and we know there's a large amount of medical need, and it does um, result in, in team members being less productive, not being able to show up for work, uh, taking sick leave. Uh, and, you know, in this, in this industry, I mean, traveling a lot is an international company right now, and you, you see the, um, the supply chain challenges and even the labor, the team, the labor challenges, the HR, the ability to get people to, you know, put on some seats to work. And so um, we think that uh, in the data we've received back from the insurance companies, it's positive that they do, they do want uh, to treat their, their, um, their clients and give them strong efficacy. So, uh, yes. Yes. And so next question, um, what is the current attitude of organizations like AA to partnering with or even endorsing the use of psilocybin medicine for their participants? Yeah, thanks, uh, Margaret, for the question. Um, it's interesting about AA, and I know Dustin knows this, but yeah, I believe in 1935, uh, the founder actually credits the launching of, of uh, AA to uh, his LSD experiences. So he uh, was an alcoholic himself. Used LSD, he overcame his addiction, and then he had this mission to launch this this organization that that actually uh, one of my family members has had seen success with it. So I'm uh, grateful for that, and uh, a friend of mine as well. So, um, but the data has shown that it is uh, that it, it that it is uh, that it has less than 25 percent efficacy. There is a faith-based element uh, that uh, is not for everybody, um, and so. You know, it. Um, we're open to discussions with AA. Uh, I think we need to, you know, get this trial into phase three, and see you know, what's there. But it's a different kind of. It's a different business model they have. It's, it's a nonprofit, so it, it's it's a bit different than us as a for-profit company. But we're open open to you know, collaborations uh, to help patients and uh, at the right time. But um, yeah. Great. And I think you did such a good job explaining everything. We don't have any more questions. We just had a few questions. So want to thank you, Damien, for entering the hot seat. You survived. You did a, did a great job. Really appreciate you. And for all of our viewers, we do these every other Thursday. So our next one will not be this coming Thursday, but the following Thursday, we will have Tom Fiegel from Beyond, which is an Ibogaine clinic that does absolutely incredible work. Um, also around addiction indication. So um, make sure you tune in for the next one. Damien, thank you so much for joining us and uh, look forward to working with you in the future. Absolutely as well. And belated July 4th greetings to all of those in the U.S. that are, uh, are, uh, are tuning in here. So thanks for having us, Dustin. Thanks for all your valuable contributions to, to Clairvoyant and our, and our mission. And uh, thanks to Psychedelic Invest for, for having uh, myself and Clairvoyant today. Absolutely. Have a good one. Thank you, everyone. All right. Thank you very much. Bye.